All right, good morning. Uh, grab a Bible, turn to 1 Timothy. Turn to 1 Timothy this morning. Uh, you might be worried that we've left the book of Acts, and we haven't really. Um, the book of Acts, the last few weeks, we've been um, in chapter 18, chapter 19, we'll be in chapter 20 uh, before you know it. And we've been looking at the ministry in the early church in the city of ancient Ephesus. And there actually are many places in the New Testament that are like letters to Ephesus, stories about Ephesus in the book of Acts, so on and so forth. And I think over these Christmas holidays, really just these two Sundays, uh, this Sunday and next, I wanted to look at a couple of passages that are not in the book of Acts, but that are letters to the Christians at Ephesus. Okay, so that's why we're looking at 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17 this morning. Now, uh, as we jump into that passage, uh, let me ask you, do you have um, lines from movies memorized? Like maybe uh, everyone has like maybe one line from a movie memorized, a favorite movie, um, maybe several, uh, maybe someone could share. I'm just kidding. Um, but it's amazing how, you know, sometimes you'll remember one compelling line. And maybe when you're reading a book and you're reading through the page, there might just be one great sentence that just strikes you. You're like, man. And, and we are looking at a passage like that this morning. Well, at least it has been a passage like that for others. And it was for this person I want to tell you about named Thomas Bilney. In the 1520s in England, he was a professor at Cambridge. And he was, this person, Thomas Bilney, not at peace in his soul. Uh, anyways, this guy named Erasmus, he visited this place in England, and he had translated the New Testament into Latin, Erasmus had. And this guy, Thomas Bilney, wanted uh, to get a copy of that because he was really intrigued by this new Latin translation. And I'll just read you the quote. He said, I bought the book being drawn by the Latin rather than by the word of God. For at that time, I knew not what the word of God meant. On my first reading, I chanced upon these words. This is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This one sentence, through God's inward working, did so light up my poor bruised spirit that the very bones within me leaped for joy and gladness. It was as if, after a long, dark night, day had suddenly broke. And so Thomas Bilney, now having become a Christian, he would go on to be a key leader in revival in England. And he would be arrested for preaching the gospel and burned at the stake. And so our passage this morning is this same passage where that great sentence is found. And so, Lord, please give us changed hearts and change lives by your word in similar fashion today. Let me read the passage to you, the whole passage. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 
through 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. This is God's word. I'm going to continue right on into this passage. We're going to get right to it. Now, we're looking at First Timothy, and this is a quick turn into a different book of the New Testament. One thing I want to show you is the third verse in chapter 1. Right there at the beginning of chapter 1, Paul says this to Timothy. Now remember, Timothy is in Ephesus. And Paul says this to Timothy. Look at it. It says, as I urged you when I was going into Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you, Timothy, may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So just hold that verse on the screen, and let's think about this for a minute. All right, so we've been studying the book of Acts as a church. We've been looking at different passages, verse by verse, going through it. Last few weeks, we've been in Ephesus. Do you remember last week, Acts 19? There was a riot in the city of Ephesus. In verse 21 of chapter 19, we talked about how Paul had resolved in his spirit after being in Ephesus to go where? Do you remember? To Macedonia. Verse 21 of chapter 19. And so we know his plan was to go from Ephesus to Macedonia. And Macedonia is just modern-day Greece, all right? And, and here, as he's writing to Timothy, Timothy's at Ephesus. We can't say for sure if he's writing this at this exact moment. I don't think we could say that. But we can read it again and think about what we just said. As I urged you when I was going into Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Okay. So if it was right after the events of Acts 19, the citywide riot, then we can understand why Timothy might need what this verse says, right? To be urged to remain. Timothy had to be urged to remain. Like, Timothy, no, 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 Timothy, stay, stay. You know what I mean? It's like, you have to stay there. You're not coming with me. Pastoring in Ephesus was not an easy assignment. There was a riot. There was a lot going on there, like anywhere. And Timothy, being a young man, was depleted and likely felt like he could do nothing, like he had nothing to give. So he wanted to go with Paul, but Paul urged him to remain. Think about that. Because as we study these verses, verse 12 through 17, 
I want to submit to you that Paul is encouraging Timothy by modeling for him and talking about what he can give when he feels like he has nothing to give. That's the outline this morning. Three things Paul can give, can offer up to the Lord. Three things Timothy can give. Three things you and I can give when we feel we have nothing to give. Number one, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And I would say it this way, I can give thanks for God's surprising grace and calling upon my life. That's true for every believer, not just for apostles or pastors. I can give thanks for God's surprising grace and calling upon my life. That's from verses 12 through 14. Look at verse 12. I thank him. This is Paul. He's saying this, but he's saying this to and for Timothy as an example for Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Given me strength. Do you see that? He's referring, Paul's referring back to his conversion. And he's talking in the past tense. There was a past tense moment where I was given strength. Not strong before that. That moment, given strength. That's what he's saying. I was given strength. And then he says, because he judged me faithful. The NIV says, he judged me trustworthy. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I think there's like two options, right? A or B. So does it mean, A, that Paul was a faithful Pharisee, impressing God, and therefore a perfect candidate to be appointed as a Christian apostle? God was looking around for someone faithful. Oh, look at this Pharisee, Paul. He's so faithful. Let's make him an apostle. It could mean that, but it doesn't. Or B, Paul was not faithful to God at all in his formal life, which is what is so surprising and why he's thanking God for surprisingly judging him faithful. Yet now, because he has at a moment in the past been given strength by Christ, Paul can be faithful. Ding, ding, that's the right answer. That's what it means because he judged me faithful. You see, it says, appointing me to his service. We're still in verse 12. Appointing me to his service. Paul understands that he was saved to serve. Appointed to service. That's the literal word for deacon in the New Testament. It means to serve. Saved to serve. So look, Paul's referring to his conversion. He's giving thanks for it. In one moment, Three things happened. He was given strength. He was judged faithful. He was appointed to serve. Verse 13, he says, but it was so surprising. And here's why. Verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul is saying who he was before Christ. He says, blasphemer. That's one who 
openly slanders God. And Paul now understanding that Jesus is God, he now views his speaking negatively of Jesus as blasphemy. He says he was a persecutor. That's one who is preoccupied with causing others to suffer. Persecution. And he says he was an insolent opponent. That is a violent aggressor who takes a superior attitude toward others. Hello, we're talking about a bully. But he says, I received mercy. He says, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, now Paul is, you got to understand, Paul is not here in this verse teaching that ignorance guarantees mercy. No. No, no, no. Nothing guarantees mercy. It wouldn't be mercy if you could guarantee mercy. What he is saying is not that he deserved to be saved because he was ignorant. No. He's simply explaining that in his former life, apart from Christ, it was not a life where he knew better. He didn't know at all. As some who have heard the gospel and yet still slander Christ in the church and Christians do perhaps know. Paul's saying, I wasn't in that category. I didn't know. But he says, thanks be to God. He received mercy. Now, verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace overflowed. Just picture that. Paul, in his mind, thinking of God's grace, God's unmerited favor, abundantly overflowing, a downpour of the grace of of God as Paul holds out a 12-ounce cup. Grace overflowed with the faith and love that are in Christ. Do you see this three for three? Blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. Grace, faith, love. Three things I can give when I feel I have nothing to give. One is thanksgiving for God's surprising grace and calling Upon my life. You know, we might fairly ask this question. Paul is talking about his own story here. He's not in Ephesus at the moment. Timothy is. And so this brings up an important point about encouraging others. Good counselors and encouragers don't share too much of their own story, right? You don't go to a counselor to listen to them talk the whole time. But they do share some. They should share some in order to illustrate what the person they're seeking to encourage might do or try, right? This is exactly what Paul is doing here. Timothy's facing a challenge. He feels he has nothing to give. He had to be urged to remain. He can stare at that challenge, despair, and quit. Or he can look back to his own conversion and calling as Paul is modeling for him where God powerfully touched his life and has since transformed his life, and he can be thankful. And that is something he can give when he feels he has nothing. Second, three things I can give God when I feel I have nothing 
to give, like in the holidays when I feel I have nothing to give. I'm so exhausted. Number two, full acceptance. Full acceptance. I would say I can give full acceptance to the gospel message, verse 15 through 16. He says in verse 15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. All right. He says, the saying is trustworthy. You see that? I always think that's funny. Like, why does the Bible, which is supposed to be so trustworthy, have to say, hey, this is the trustworthy part? It's kind of scary. It's like, wait, wait, what about the rest? Um, This is a statement that's made five times in Paul's letters. And it's not to say this part of the Bible is trustworthy, the rest isn't. No, it's to say, listen up, this is very important. It's for emphasis. He's saying, focus on this right now, focus. And that is exactly what Thomas Bilney did, right? We talked about the one great sentence that transformed his life. It was this verse. So what is it that this verse says? It says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Think about why that verse is so important, why it is so true and deserving of full acceptance. So important because the prevalent false teaching in Timothy's day and in your day and my day hasn't changed. It's that God saves good moral people. That's false teaching. And that he saves them through their good works. It's not what the Bible says. This verse runs against that, goes against that, and proves that to be false. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners. Great sinners. Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. The word here is protos. It means first. It means chief. You've heard chief of sinners. It means the worst. That's what Paul's saying. Now let me ask you, do you you notice something peculiar about what Paul says? Have you seen this before? I'm serious. I'm asking. Have you seen before in this very famous verse that Paul says, of whom I am the foremost, present Not I was, though he certainly would believe that. He's like, of whom I still am. I am the worst sinner. I am the chief of sinners. That's what Paul's saying. Again, Thomas Bilney said, this one sentence through God's inward working did so light up my poor bruised spirit that my bones left within me. You know, the sign of a truly growing follower of Jesus Christ is a greater awareness of God's perfect holiness through his word and simultaneously a greater awareness of our imperfectness and sinfulness through reflection on his word. As such, the gap between the holiness of God and your life as a Christian, 
is ever widening and the magnitude of the cross and the gulf that it bridges for you to God in your life is ever more glorious. That is the sign and mark of a growing Christian. And so we, like Paul, and Timothy, like Paul, his mentor, should always be saying, you know who's the worst and most chief sinner? It's me. Full acceptance. I can give full acceptance to the gospel message. This point's not quite over. That's verse 15. Now, verse 16, Paul talks about the purpose for this. Again, we saw in verses 12 through 14 that he was saved to serve. Now he's saved to display. Verse 16, but I received mercy. Again, the chief of sinners received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Perfect patience. God's perfect patience. How does Paul's conversion show the perfect patience of Christ? Think about it. Jesus could have saved Paul before he killed Christians. Why not? I mean, he could have done it. Could have used him in all the same ways. He just could have saved him before he killed Christians, but he didn't. Jesus could have killed Paul when he was killing Christians. But he didn't. Jesus could have chosen someone with a cleaner record to be the church's most prominent missionary and apostle. Jesus did none of those things. And he chose to save the foremost of sinners. Why? To display his perfect patience. Think about just this passage, verses 12 through 17. What is said of Paul and what is said of God. Paul, he's a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, the chief sinner. God, mercy, grace, faith, love, perfect patience, immortal, invisible honor and glory. That's it. All right. Full acceptance. Full acceptance of the gospel message. And so, so again, this, this verse challenges us. Verse 15, it says, this is deserving of full acceptance. And so what are we to accept? Accept that you are a great sinner. Accepting that means acknowledging your sin. It means being honest with yourself about what the Bible says about you, that we're all sinful. And we can be comforted. I love this quote from author Kent Hughes. He says, we can be comforted in the truth that he can, he has, and he will save great sinners. So accept that you're a great sinner. And accept that Christ came to save sinners. And you say, how specifically? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us in five words. You know them? Christ died for our sins. On the cross, Jesus died for our sins. That's it. 
So we accept that Christ died for our sins. We accept that we're a great sinner. We accept that Christ died for our sins. And then we accept the salvation that Christ offers us. You say, how? Look at Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? You will be saved. Three things I can give God. And I feel I have nothing to give. One, thanksgiving. Two, full acceptance of the gospel. Friend, have you done that? Number three, praise. I can give praise, honor, and glory to God with my life. So Paul continues in verse 17. He really uh, is writing a letter to Timothy, who's stationed at Ephesus. But we see here that he breaks out in prose, in song, sorry, in poetry. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you see where it says to the king of ages? He's saying every age before creation, the ice age, the dinosaur age, the internet age, the AI age, the past, the present, the future. He says the king of ages to that king. He says immortal, not subject to death or decay as we are. Invisible. Think for Paul when he says invisible, unable to be seen by the human eye other than during Christ's incarnation. He dwells in unapproachable and blinding light. Remember Paul being blinded by the light of Christ in Acts 9. The king of ages, immortal, invisible. Do you see it? The only God. You know the Greek for that? Monotheism. The only God. Be honor and glory forever. Now, we see here that Paul breaks out in song. And, you know, we're about to sing. But Christians are weird because we sing. We, we sing, like we come together and we sing. It's kind of strange. It actually is strange if you're not comfortable with it. Why are they singing? What's with the singing? If you've never come to church before, it is strange. But it's not one of those strange things that has no explanation. No, there is an explanation. In fact, it's here. The explanation is, as we have seen in these verses, Paul is blown away by the grace of God in his life. And he can't help but respond in song, even as he's writing to Timothy. And he even continues when he says, be honor." Lift up Christ, honor him, put him on a pedestal in every facet of your lives, not just your songs. Be glory. Glory means weighty. Make Christ prominent and weighty in every facet of your lives, not just your singing. Be honor and glory forever. Amen. And so we'll close. But when we feel we have nothing to give, whether you're Paul, whether you're Timothy receiving this encouragement from Paul, or whether it's you or me this morning or this week, we can give thanks 
for God's grace, which is surprising. We can fully accept the gospel. Great sinners. Great salvation. And we can and we will give praise and honor and glory to God with our lives. Let's pray.